Hello everyone, it's James Lindsay, and we are doing another episode of the New Discourses podcast. I'm going to take you out of this kind of education loop that I've been in for a hot minute here. I'm going to do at least one. We'll see how many I do as I read through this book. Uh, I'm going to do a podcast on somebody that I first read when I was doing the post-colonialism chapter of Cynical Theory. So this would have been having first read this guy maybe late 2018, early 2019. And I am sad to confess that when I read him, I had no idea what I was reading. It just seemed like a bunch of nonsense to me. And now when I read it, it's so glaring. I feel bad that I haven't brought it up more. Um, I am glad that I included it in Cynical Theories. Um, Helen had mentioned him, and I wanted to make more of more out of him. And But I've been asked gosh, I don't know, hundreds of times, please go through Franz Fanon on your podcast. Please go into his work. So Franz Fanon was a um, French-Algerian man, a psychoanalyst, kind of in the, he he was sort of Marxist. He's he's really considered the father of the post-colonialism movement and the decolonialism movement. Um, he was a very angry man. His analysis was heavily rooted in Marx, but diverged from it. But what I would say now is that he reproduced Marx in terms of colonialism as opposed to in terms of, you know, the usual private property or whatever. And um, as a post-colonialist, he was a major inspiration. We, we know that for Paulo Ferreri. So if you've been reading The Marxification of Education and you notice that I tie the decolonization of the curriculum movement in education today through Paulo, or to Paulo Ferreri, and I mentioned that that's actually kind of an explicit project of this guy, Joe Kinchelo, who was at McGill University in Canada for a number of years until he died, and that he was a Ferrarian who had uh, taken up this, this kind of decolonization of the curriculum movement quite a lot. Um, what I've never really talked about much, though, is that this root of all of this is in, in this guy, Franz Fanon, who, whether you want to say that he's the father of post-colonialism or not, he's certainly the father of decolonization. And the idea of decolonizing or decolonizing the curriculum, decolonizing the country, decolonizing the land, decolonizing your workspace, de- decolonizing your life, decolonizing the language... All of these things, which I think you notice, are filled with with acts of violence. They they involve tearing down statues, remaking the language, you know, calling for you know entire schools to fall. Science must fall is a decolonization movement against science, saying that indigenous practices have to come back and replace science, especially in the uh, post-colonial world where science came in and displaced the indigenous practices, um, but anything to do with decolonizing the curriculum roots back to this guy Fanon and the, the, the ties to violence and property destruction and everything else are unmistakable. <laughs> it's literally Fanon's point. And um, so when you read in Paulo Ferreri, him talking about the colonial project or even the project of education pushing the existing people to the margins of society and that being an act of violence that's riffing much more gently off of Franz Fanon's very explicit calls to understand colonization as violence and decolonization as a process that requires violence. And what I want to do is kind of go through a little bit of his 1962. I think that's the right date. I've read 61. I've read 63. I think it's 62 uh, book, The Wretched of the Earth which is um, often alluded to. Herbert Marcuse alludes to it. Uh, Freire alludes to it. it. Antifa loves it. Antifa actually can be thought of in its present form as kind of a combination of the spirit of Marcuse mixed with the spirit of Franz Fanon. I read a book, an Antifa book, an actual Antifa book, um, that was a homage to Franz Fanon. It called Fanon Dynamite in print. Um, if I remember right, that book was called something like uh, 
black block something black block white masks or white faces or something because because one of Fanon's earlier books was white riot that's what it was black block right white riot that's hard to say uh is the title of the antifa book by ak press uh if i remember rightly but the uh book by Fanon in the 50s was called black skins white masks saying that colonization requires the colonized people who have darker skin to act white, essentially. And you see a lot of the nasty themes that appear in critical race theory tying back to these kinds of themes. But again, all of the decolonization movement, whether that's in education or otherwise, finds its roots in this guy. And that's why I want to highlight what's going on uh, with The Wretched of the Earth. And I'm only going to read about three pages from the very beginning of this book uh, for this episode, so it'll probably be a fairly short episode. I want to point out, though, uh, I'll also read a little bit from the the preface, which was written famously by the existentialist French Marxist uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, I won't read very much of that, just maybe two paragraphs or a paragraph and a half. Uh, I want to give you a sense of what's being conveyed here. And because it's now how I see these issues and I'm going to veer into talking about these issues this way, I'm going to explain how this is in fact esoteric religion. What Fanon is writing is a religious ritual of violence, and it's going to be unambiguous. Uh, To briefly explain myself on this, ever since I've learned the, the roots of Hegel and Marx's work being embedded in these esoteric religions like Gnosticism and Hermeticism, and I've come to read those texts from those religions and about those religions and the ways that Hegel and Marx made use of those ideas, I no longer feel like I can talk about issues, whether it's Marxism, whether it's woke, whether it's anything in between critical theory, cultural Marxism, it doesn't matter. I feel like I can no longer talk about these issues in their own terms. I feel like I can only talk about them in terms of them being manifestations of this esoteric religion. Why? It's one, it's just that clarifying. It makes sense of everything. Everything becomes very simple. Um, Two is that when you use the words of the theories, the way that they're composed, what I feel like now that I know what's going on under the hood, so to speak, with this Gnostic, Hermetic, esoteric religion stuff, I feel like if I talk in terms of the theory qua the theory, if I tell you critical race theory says this, and this is what critical race theory thinks, and this is how critical race theory frames it, whether it's critical race theory, queer theory, post-colonialism, as we're going to talk about today uh, in this episode, I feel like I feel like I'm at the lake and I'm mistaking the ripples on the surface of the water. I'm playing on the, the rippling surface of the water and missing everything going on in the depths. Um, it's almost like there's a shark or something under the water and you can't see it because of the rippling on the surface. And when you talk in the language of the theory, it's like you're playing in the ripples. You're playing in the refracted light, reflected light, bouncing back, and you don't see what's actually under the surface at all. And so if I talk about these theories without talking about these kind of Gnostic and Hermetic undertones, I feel like we just miss them. I actually have an intention at some point, maybe I'll try to do more podcasting while I have some time uh, over the holidays. Um, I want to go through some of the queer theory texts and elucidate how these are also Gnostic texts. Um, I could go through, for example, and the, the Drag Queen Story Hour paper famously that I've done in the Groomer Schools 4 and point out how they actually position Drag Queen Story Hour as an initiation right into queer Gnosticism. I don't think there's another way to understand it. Um, I could, I want to go through Eve Sedgwick's Epistemology of the Closet, or at least the first chapter of it, which is quite long, um, very long, um, and a little strange because it's one of the most clearly Gnostic texts in the kind of postmodern era that I've ever read. And this is a foundational text in queer theory. And once you understand that you're looking at something that deserves to be called queer Gnosticism, even the title, the epistemology of the closet totally makes sense. Whereas otherwise it's this mysterious thing. And so I'm think I'm going to start doing that. But in this case, I'm going to go through the first three pages 
or thereabouts, at least in this version of France Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth, and show you that postcolonialism is in fact the same thing. It is a kind of esoteric, really very Gnostic religion um, about colonialism, and that there is a process of death and rebirth, as there always is, in um, Gnosis or Gnosticism. And in this process of death and rebirth, uh, in this case, and I'll come back to that, I think, if I remember at the end, uh, I can read you a quote about that from a second century Gnostic explaining this. Um, but what you see in the decolonization project of Franz Fanon, him being the father of decolonization, is that the death and rebirth process is through violence. Violence against the people you believe are colonized, or colonizers are colonizing you or have colonized you. And in fact, the first chapter of The Wretched of the Earth is titled Concerning Violence. And it starts off this way. National liberation. So even the idea of liberation, by the way, is Gnostic. How we haven't talked about this, it's almost just shameful that we haven't been willing to admit this. Liberation from what? Liberation from the prison of our experience that we have in the world as it is now. The world is constructed in some way, they believe socially and politically constructed through whatever set of political, social, economic, whatever they are conditions, and that incarcerates us in a world that we deserve to be emancipated from, that we deserve to be liberated from. And these are key words, at least going back to Marx, but these are Gnostic and Hermetic concepts that we have to escape from the mundane or fallen or evil world, depending on which vein of these thought we're in. For the people who are going to do this in the chat or the comments, I know Gnosticism and Hermeticism are different things. I'm not conflating them. Stop telling me I'm conflating them. It's too complicated to get into all this shit every time. We're not going to do that today. The idea, though, that we're going to know that there's something out there spiritually higher that we either can gain knowledge of, that's Gnosis or Gnosticism, and escape from through our knowledge, at least spiritually, or that we can gain knowledge about and transform the world according to our need. That's hermeticism. And they are fundamentally different while relying on similar uh, undercurrents. That we don't understand liberation and liberationism and emancipation the way that Marxists and neo-Marxists and liberationists and feminists and trans and queer theorists all talk about it. Black liberationism, queer liberationism, trans liberationism, women's liberation, sexual liberation, national liberation. It's the same thing again and again and again. This is a Gnostic mindset that the world is trapping you in a prison that you have to escape from. And here we see the beginning, national liberation, national renaissance, the restoration of nationhood to the people, commonwealth. Whatever may be the headings used or the new formulas introduced, decolonization is always a violent phenomenon. That's the first sentence of this book. Whatever you call it, no matter how you go about it, decolonization, to quote exactly, is always a violent phenomenon. At whatever level we study it, he says, relationships between individuals new names for sports clubs, the human admixture at cocktail parties, in the police, on the directing boards of national or private banks. Decolonization is quite simply the replacing of a certain, quote, species of men by another, quote, species of men. So I want to bring this up again in terms of the Gnostic Hermetic mind. Because just like Marx, who believed that the socialist man understands and the other man is reduced, isn't fully human anymore, has been dehumanized, meaningfully dehumanized. But we can go back to the Gnostic or Hermetic texts and we see the same themes. Especially in the Corpus Hermeticum, it's quite explicit. There are men who have access to nos, to mind, and there are men who don't have access to nos or mind, which is implied to be a direct link to the mind of God. The people who don't have it are like animals. They are a different species of men. Socialist man for Marx, 
is another species of man, a higher sublated species. And here we have Fanon in 1962 saying, decolonization is quite simply the replacing of a certain species of men by another species of men. Without any period of transition, he tells us, there is a total, complete, and absolute substitution. If that sounds a little genocidal, I'm just going to let that hang there. It is true that we could equally well stress the rise of a new nation, the setting up of a new state, its diplomatic relations, and its economic and political trends, but we have precisely chosen to speak of that kind of tabula rasa, blank slate that is, which characterizes at the outset all decolonization. We have to wipe the tablet clean. We have to start over to decolonize. Its unusual importance is that it constitutes from the very first day the minimum demands of the colonized. To tell the truth, the proof of success lies in a whole social structure being changed from the bottom up. The extraordinary importance of this change is that it is willed, called for, demanded. Do you hear the language of today? So the whole social structure has to be changed by people activated from the bottom. It's going to be called for and willed, but more than that, it's going to be demanded. The language of today is very much the language of Franz Fanon, who we've ignored or at least I've mostly ignored in my work up until recently. This is the first major thing I've actually done on him since cynical theories, frankly. The need for this change, he says, exists in its crude state, impetuous and compelling, in the consciousness and in the lives of men, of the men and women who are colonized. But the possibility of this change is equally experienced in the form of a terrifying future and the consciousness of another species of men and women. The colonizers. So the colonizers and the colonized are two species who are at war. Two fundamental species who are at war. And the possibility of change is experienced by the colonizers as a terrifying future. In other words, they are terrified of it. And they don't want that. And they will fight that. Decolonization, he tells us, decolonization, which sets out to change the order of the world, is obviously a program of complete disorder. So we're going to reach the tabula rasa through utter chaos and revolution, complete disorder from which a new order will be able to emerge. It's, so it's a completely revolutionary ideology, of course. He says, but it cannot come as a result of magical practices, nor of a natural shock, nor of a friendly understanding. Decolonization, as we know, is a historical process. There's your marks. That, it is, uh, that is to say that it cannot be understood, it cannot become intelligible nor clear to itself except in the exact measure that we can discern the movements which give it historical form and content. That's Marxism. That's meaning to understand how colonization is and how decolonization should proceed. We have to understand all of the historical causes through a science of history, yada yada. Decolonization, he says, is the meeting of two forces opposed to each other by their very nature, which in fact owe their originality to that sort of substantification which results from and is nourished by the situation in the colonies. Now, it's a little subtle here, but we're setting up, as a matter of fact, a dialectical understanding. So the hermeticism is present in this transformation. What is that? Decolonization is the meeting of two forces opposed to each other by their very nature, so you have opposites, but in fact, they owe their originality to that sort of substantification which results from and is nourished by the situation of the colonies. Colonizers and colonized only exist in relationship to one another is a subtext here that actually is a, an important point. And so the colonizer and the colonized are opposites but within a single dynamic. That dynamic is the thing that decolonization has to seize control of. 
and Fanon's going to tell us how to do that. He says, their first encounter was marked by violence and their existence together, that is to say, the exploitation of the native by the settler. Notice, of course, the same modern language, all this settler stuff, native stuff. And their existence together was carried on by dint of a great array of bayonets and cannons. The settler and the native are old acquaintances. In fact, the settler is right when he speaks of knowing, quote, them well. For it is the settler who has brought the native into existence and who perpetuates his existence. So that's what I'm saying. This is the dialectic happening between the settler and the native, or between the colonizer and the colonized. See, the settler has brought the native into existence and who perpetuates his existence. The settler owes the fact of his very existence, that is to say, his property, to the colonial system. So the colonial system becomes the universe in which the settler and the native, or the colonizer and colonized, become meaningful objects, and the dynamic in which they're opposed can be understood from the outside, from a higher position, as being um, something where these two uh, foes are seen as part of the same dynamic process, gaining control over and reversing the flow of that process as the point of decolonization. So Fanon tells us decolonization never takes place unnoticed, for it influences individuals and modifies them fundamentally. Okay, so it's a process of personal transformation, and also national transformation. It transforms spectators crushed with their inessentiality into privileged actors, with the grandiose glare of history's floodlights upon them. It brings a natural rhythm into existence, introduced by new men, and with it a new language and a new humanity. So now we're being reborn into new people with a new humanity. Decolonization is the veritable creation of new men. So it is a death and rebirth process through creating massive conflict and disorder through violence and destruction there is a death of the preceding or previous uh, set of circumstances the previous dynamic and it gives birth not just to a new dynamic when we go through the decolonization process of throwing off the system but also the creation of new men and he says, but this creation owes nothing of its legitimacy to any supernatural power. The, quote, thing which has been colonized becomes man during the same process by which it frees itself. Did you hear that? The thing which has been colonized. In other words, human beings through the process of colonization have been transformed into objects. The thing, which is a colonized person, which has been colonized, becomes man during the same process by which it frees itself. So the process of decolonization is a religious rite. It is a religious rite into a rebirth, into true manhood or human uh, humanity, I guess is the word I'm looking for. It is a process of death to what you were and rebirth into something fully human on a higher spiritual level of attainment. It is the elevation in the kind of hermetic levels, the seven levels of hermetic of the, of the world. We have animal just below human. It's a transition from the reduced animal form to the human form, which Marx called humanization. Decolonization, just like seizing the means of production through the proletariat coming together in solidarity for Marx, becomes a process of humanization. In other words, lifting yourself out of the animal condition that Marx writes about over and over again. That's what labor does to you is it reduces you to an animal. You find your humanity in your animal functions like eating and drinking and procreating. That's what he says. And that you that's where you find humanity in this under, under this labor system. And your humanness is actually crushed out of you so that you become like animal. You lower yourself in the in the, the spiritual hierarchy. And so by seizing the means of production and overthrowing the evil system, you raise yourself, you humanize, you elevate one level in the system. And in this case, colonization is seen the same way. Are you starting to hear why it's almost impossible to understand this without understanding that it's esoteric religion?
we can say it's like this and it's like that and it's like Marxism and it's like this and but when you understand that it's esoteric religion and the idea is that the claim is that when colonization occurred people from Europe came to people say in Africa or wherever it could be another country North America Asia whatever Australia and they dehumanized people rendered them down to the level of animals it can't have a possible friendly relationship. They, they lowered them to the status of animals, treated them that way, reified that concept through their social constructions and through the, 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 the crushing power of colonization. And the only way to elevate back to the human level, to regain humanity, to regain manhood, is to go through this process of decolonization, which he tells us in the first sentence, no matter what you call it and no matter how you do it, is a violent process. This is a religious ritual. Decolonization is a religious ritual, just like seizing the means of production in Marxism is a religious ritual, just like seizing the means of production of your body in the trans aspect of queer theory is a religious ritual, just like seizing the means of production of the social constructions around sex and gender in feminism and queer theory is a religious ritual, just like Drag Queen Story Hour as an introductory, uh, as, as a preparatory introduction, that's their words, to alternate modes of kinship and living queerly, is a religious ritual. It's to raise you from a diminished state to a higher state and a spiritual progress, uh, process of progress um, that, that, that could be outlined very clearly uh, in kind of this weirdly combined Gnostic hermetic uh, esoteric religion that I'm claiming Hegel actually nailed those two things together. Gnosticism and Hermeticism were nailed together, synthesized, if you will. And I know they're different, but in the modern and postmodern era, they're not. They're not separate. Gnosticism becomes the motivation and Hermeticism becomes the method. And we're reading this in decolonization here. And like I said, I'm going to riff a bit here because it's not very long what I'm reading. So again, the thing which has been colonized becomes man during the same process by which it frees itself, which we're going to hear later is murder. In decolonization, he says, there is therefore the need of a complete calling in question of the colonial situation. See, the dynamic itself has to be questioned. Decolonization is the calling in question of the entire colonization process and everything that it might contain because we have to wipe everything that is out to a tabula rasa. That's why it's so destructive. If we wish to describe it precisely, Fanon tells us, we might find it in the well-known words, quote, the last shall be first and the first last. Well, there you go. Decolonization is the putting into practice of this sentence. That is why, if we try to describe it, all decolonization is successful. The naked truth of decolonization evokes for us the searing bullets and bloodstained knives which emanate from it. So it's a practice of violence. It's absolutely crucial for you to understand. For if the last shall be first, this will only come to pass after a murderous and decisive struggle between the two protagonists. That affirmed intention to place last at the head of things, and to make them climb at a pace too quickly, some say, the well-known steps which characterize and organize society, can only triumph if we use all means to turn the scale, including, of course, that of violence. You do not turn any society, however primitive it may be, upside down with such a program if you have not decided from the very beginning that it is to say, uh, sorry, that is to say from the actual formulation of that program to overcome all the obstacles that you will come across in so doing. So notice now, we're not just talking about wiping the slate clean, the tabula rasa. We're going to take a society and turn it upside down through a program of decolonization, which involves a murderous and decisive struggle between the two protagonists who are actually two um, characters in a story called colonialism or colonization, which is the process itself, the system itself that has to be destroyed. And how would you destroy it? Well, you seize the means of production of it and you recreate it by recolonizing in the other direction, but you don't call it colonizing. 
so that you do it correctly by turning the society upside down. That's what it's about. The native who decides to put the program into practice and to become its moving force. So you are, this is, that's Marx, right? When you become conscious, you become also active. You, it is not a, just a theory. It is a theory put into praxis, uh, a process of becoming. And you must become a activist. And once you become an activist, you become the moving force of the trajectory of history. That's the Marxist theory. The native who decides to put the program into practice and to become its moving force is ready for violence at all times. From birth, it is clear to him that this narrow world strewn with prohibitions can only be called in question by absolute violence. Now, of course, this chapter goes on for many pages that I'm not going to read, talking about why violence is necessary, what kind of violence is necessary, and so on. I'm actually going to skip upward. I'm not going to read more of that at the moment. Um, I want to find the right spot. I'm going to read from uh, Sartre's uh, preface to this, in which he tells Europe repeatedly as the character that they need to read Franz Fanon, not because Franz Fanon writes to them, but because Franz Fanon writes about them and what they've done without caring a lick about them, except maybe to kill them. And that Europe, he says repeatedly, is already dead and doesn't know it and needs to understand that its final termination is coming. Before I read this from Jean-Paul Sartre, I'm going to... Uh, remind you first, and I'm going to read this thing uh, about Gnosis, and remind you that I, I you need to understand what is being characterized in Fanon, in this landmark book in post-colonialism and the decolonization movement we deal with to this day, that your children are the victims of to this day, uh, is, is a esoteric religion that is a process of transforming the world through violence that is unambiguous uh it is a it is in the sense uh of being an esoteric religion it is a very the, the hermetic process is visible we talked about that that you are moving from one spiritual level to another through this through the destruction of that which uh holds you down into a lower level of spiritual development than you should be in other words, the Gnostic impulse is there, that you've been thrown into a world that you didn't choose that keeps you from your spiritual attainment, just like the original Gnostics believed that the, the God, the creator God is actually a evil demon called the Demiurge, which is Greek, comes from the Greek for, um, for artisan, builder, a uh, person who created and constructed the world, the artisan that built the world. And this person, this character is an evil demon that wants to keep man below his full spiritual stature. He wants to keep man as man, not man as spirit. He wants to squash the true spiritual nature of man and keep him locked in his mortal coil, trapped by his sins and his passions and so on, so that he can't elevate through the knowledge of good and evil and whatever it is that comes from the tree of life to the status of being as gods. And we can read this same, let me just read this thing from, from Theodotus, a second century Christian Gnostic, where he explained what Gnosis and Gnosticism are really about. He said Gnosis, that's at the heart of Gnosticism, and he was a Christian Gnostic in the second century, which Christians would identify as a raging heretic and maybe a Satanist. Um, but Gnosis, he says, is the knowledge of who we were and what we have become. So think about what we've already just read about the colonial situation with Franz Fanon. Gnosis is the knowledge of who we were, we were men, and what we have become now we're natives, we're colonized savages. Where we were and into what we have been thrown, Theodotus tells us, Gnosis is the knowledge of who we were and what we have become, where we were and into what we have been thrown. We were free in our own country, and now we've been thrown into the colonized situation. We've been thrown into subject, being subject to a 
outside power. We've been thrown into a life of marginalization from our own ways and suffering. We've been thrown, as Freire would have it, into ignorance when we were knowers before that occurred. That's the heart of Freire's knowledge Marxism that he created, that I call the Marxification of knowledge or Marxification of education. We were men, and now we have been thrown into a world in which we are less than men. We didn't ask for it. We didn't choose it. We've been flung into it. Woe is us. Gnosis, Theodotus tells us, is the knowledge of who we were and what we have become, where we were and into what we have been thrown, whither we hasten and from what we are redeemed. Where do they hasten? They hasten to emancipation or liberation, freedom from colonization. And what are they being redeemed from? Colonization itself. The very process of colonization has to be called into question. Fanon tells us that can only be done through absolute violence. Murder, he says explicitly. But whither we hasten, that's to liberation, the first words of his book, and from what we are redeemed, the colonial situation. The process in this case is decolonization. The gnosis is knowing that you have been subjected to colonization, which is a dynamic process involving a uh, colonizer and a colonized that you are, or a, um, what was this word besides savage or besides native, a settler and a native. So you're, you're a native now. You've been thrown into the, the category of ignorant, native, useless, absolute, abject other to the settler. And you're going to be redeemed from this situation. So where do we hasten? We hasten through the decolonization process to that redemption. What is birth and what is rebirth are the last words from Theodotus. So birth is being thrown into the world and rebirth is being set free, liberated, emancipated. And in some sense, we also have the knowledge, the gnosis of how that's to be done. These theories that are po these things, these, these religions really that are posing cult religions that are posing as theories. The theory is in fact, a set of doctrines within the religion to outline into what you have been born and what is the process of rebirth under that, those circumstances. Gnosis, just to quote the whole thing from Theodotus again, Gnosis is the knowledge of who we were and what we have become, where we were and into what we have been thrown whither we hasten and from what we are redeemed, what is birth and what rebirth. And when you understand that that's the heart of Gnosticism and you hear these words contextualized against what we've just read from Fanon, or it could be from Marx, or it could be from the queer theorists. We could do this with the queer theorists trivially, Gnosis is the knowledge of who we were, we were who we were meant to be in the, in the mind of God, and what we have become. We had sex assigned at birth. We've become boys or girls or men or women. Where we were, free, liberated in terms of who we want to be and how we want to be as kind of a spiritual genderless thing, the divine hermaphrodite, the rebus, as the hermeticists might call it, and into what we've been thrown a body with disgusting genitals that determine everything about our lives. Disgusting, icky, gross sexual organs that some doctor and some social constructs are going to cause us to have to live a life according to. We have to live a life according to the dirtiest part of ourself because some doctor assigned us a sex at birth and our parents agreed and society agreed that this is how a boy should be, this is how a girl should be. Gnosis, queer gnosis, is the knowledge of who we were, free, free from all of those constraints and what we have become shackled to a body based on its genitals, where we were, which was heaven, maybe, this free expression of whoever we want to be, whenever we want to be, into what we have been thrown, this fallen body in a society that reifies the worst part of everything it could possibly be because it's based off of its sexual organs, whether we hasten to 
liberation from gender norms and expectations, to liberation from sexual expectations, liberation from a body determining who we are supposed to be, how we are supposed to be, whom we are supposed to be with or attracted to, and from what we are redeemed, a society that imprisons people through a violence of categorization, as Judith Butler might have it. What is birth? That's when you're born as a baby and you can't speak up about your soul. And then a doctor assigns you a sex and society reifies it by socially constructing gender around your genitals. And what rebirth? Deciding to cut your dick off and become trans. Deciding that you're going to keep your beard but be trans. Deciding you're going to just start wearing a dress and be trans, whatever it happens to be. Queer theory is queer Gnosticism. Franz Fanon's decolonization or post-colonialism is colonial Gnosticism. All of these theories, Marx, queer theory, critical race theory, post-colonial theory, fat studies, disability studies, we could do it with all of them off of this one quote from Theodotus, a second century Christian Gnostic. And if that's, you say, well, you're just working off of one quote. Well, it is kind of the definition, but we could step aside from the definition and we could go into the creation myths of Gnosticism and Hermeticism. We could go into the, the magical principles of Hermeticism. We could go through the, the, the Poimandris and the rest of the Corpus Hermeticum. We could go into the Emerald Tablet and we could talk about ascending to the eighth and ninth planes and we would see the exact mentality again and again and again. And in this case, decolonization is a process of, ab of rebirth through absolute violence. So what does Sartre tell us about this? What does Sartre say that your his, his preface is, is addressed to Europe? Europe, you need to read this book. So Sartre, of course, was an existentialist, which means he was miserable. Uh, he's also in the long arching romantic reaction. If you don't know, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau is considered the father, also a Gnostic. Man, man is born free and everywhere he is in chains. Through what? Through the social contract? Okay, so society is a demiurgic monster that constructs a social arrangement that you're trapped into having to live. You have to be reasonable. You have to be civil, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so okay, Rousseau's a Gnostic, and he wants to live according to his intuition through his intuitive knowledge, which, by the way, is another definition of Gnosis, is it's knowledge that's truly intuitive. It's secret, special, revealed, spiritual knowledge that follows intuition. This is what Rousseau wanted. So Rousseau, off of his ideas, comes what's called the Romantic Movement. Lots of poetry, lots of art, lots of crazy people like Blake, William Blake, uh, who has peculiar parallels to Marx and kinds of the same ideas. But Hegel inspires Kant, or sorry, Rousseau inspires Kant, Rousseau inspires Hegel, Kant also inspires Hegel, not the other way around. That was a misspeak. Uh, Hegel inspires Marx, actually Rousseau, and uh, Blake probably inspire Marx. These are all romantics, but that's beside the point. The point actually that I wanted to make to get to Sartre as an existentialist is that romanticism gave way to existentialism in France as it became more and more and more sour, as it became more and more apparent that leaning into intuition and imagination and sincerity wasn't going to build the freed up, liberated world that Rousseau had fantasized about, that the bloody terror of the French Revolution that followed from the romantic impulse is exactly the kind of misery that you get, that the inability to build a society on this, uh, this platform of sand is what you end up with in the romantic way. You end up with these miserable nihilistic people that are called existentialists. Existentialism gives way to structuralism and post-structuralism and post-modernism, and here we are today. And it's all one current. And Sartre is at the kind of um, he's actually writing during what would be called, he's an existentialist, but he's really writing during what would be called the, uh, structuralist era. If we just take that as a linear progression that I just gave right at the cusp of the beginning of post-structuralism, um, he and Derrida were not particularly friends though. Um, Sartre was also openly quite Marxist and actually through his, his preface here, there's quite a lot of Marxism, um, 
lots of kind of tangential crap. But anyway, he's writing to Europe from this kind of dismal position in this kind of dismal Gnostic mindset. Uh, and he's telling Europe, you need to listen to this guy, Franz Fanon. He doesn't give a, he doesn't give a single care about you. He doesn't care about you. He's telling you what's coming and he just is out of fucks to give. His fuck farm is completely barren and he's telling you, Europe is dead. Violence is coming. And so what he says, he's talking, this is roughly in the middle, so it's going to start kind of, you know, not making sense with the first part of the sentence, but he's talking about the various things that, that the decolonization project for the European and for the colonized, what, what, what it brings out. And he says, there's one duty. This is Sartre. There is one duty to be done, one end to achieve, to thrust out colonialism by every means in their power. The more far-seeing among us will be, in the last resort, ready to admit this duty and this end. But we cannot help seeing, in this ordeal, by force, the altogether inhuman means that these less-than-men make use of to win the concession of a charter of humanity. So you see the exact same themes. It's clear he's actually read Fanon. We have, as Europeans... He's saying we have dehumanized the colonized, the, the, the natives that we've settled upon. They are now less than men in our eyes, and they're going to use inhuman means to thrust out colonialism by every means in their power, including violence. He says, accord it to them at once then, and let them endeavor by peaceful undertakings to deserve it. So he's exhorting Europe, just give them their, just give it back to them. Our worthiest souls, he says, contain racial prejudices. You're all racist. Just give up. And what has Europe done ever since? Exactly that. It's lost all of its pride, all of its character, all of its backbone, and it is just folded to a rampant decolonization movement. And we see where we are today. Why? Because he says we've made these people less than men. They're going to use whatever means they need to get their humanity back, to get a concession of a charter of humanity, which by the way, of course, is what the World Economic Forum, United Nations basically say is the point of trying to elevate uh, the um, non-European North American or the first world or whatever. So Sartre appeals to the European, accord it to them at once then, and let them endeavor by peaceful undertakings, because they're going to be violent, to deserve it. Our worthiest souls contain racial prejudice. That's what he says. Doesn't that, isn't that the attitude of today? He says they would do well, meaning the Europeans, they would do well to read Fanon, for he shows clearly that this irrepressible violence, irrepressible violence, is neither sound in fury, nor the resurrection of savage instincts, nor even the effect of resentment. It's something else, guys. Listen to what Sartre says it is. It is this irrepressible violence that they will use to decolonize, he says, is neither sound and fury, so it's not just puffing and puffing, it's not noise, sound and fury signifying nothing, that's Shakespeare, right? Nor the resurrection of savage instincts, no, 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 these weren't actually savage people who are coming back to their savagery because the colonization didn't take, he's saying that, nor even the effect of resentment which I think we should all disagree with, but he says it is man recreating himself. It is rebirth. It is death and rebirth. Decolonization and the violence, this irrepressible violence, reading Sartre here about Fanon, which we just read, fits into the mold of what Theodotus told us about Gnosis. It is man recreating himself. It is death and rebirth. It is the process of being born again as something humanized, but in this case through irrepressible violence. And Sartre is begging Europeans, let them have it. Admit you're a racist. Admit you're a terrible person. Have colonial guilt and hope that they'll do it through peaceful means, that they'll destroy Europe by peaceful means, that they'll destroy your country, your heritage, by peaceful means, because these are men recreating themselves, and they're going to do it by any means necessary. That's what he said. 
He says, I think we understood this truth at one time, but we have forgotten it. That no gentleness can efface the marks of violence. Only violence itself can destroy them. So only because colonialism was violent in one way or another, it can only be healed through violence. That's what Sartre was saying. There is no healing not through violence. There's no forgiveness. It's not possible. Listen to this. It's not even paternalistic. Sartre thinks these people are regenerate savages. They can't possibly turn the other cheek. They can't possibly forgive. They can't possibly adopt that high Christian ethic. No gentleness can efface the marks of violence. Only violence itself can destroy them. If you're a Christian, this is satanic. Full stop. If you are a Christian, that sentence is satanic. No gentleness can efface the marks of violence. Only violence itself can destroy them. And it is man recreating himself. Man making himself into what it means to be a man. Not a child of God. Not a fallen sinner. This is what we have. This is the heart of the decolonization movement that has destroyed Europe and is destroying. Well, this is what, what's his name? Uh, Douglas Murray calls the strange death of Europe. There's your explanation for it right there in five sentences. He says the native cures himself of colonial neurosis by thrusting out the settler through force of arms. When his rage boils over, he rediscovers his lost innocence and he comes to know himself in that he himself creates his self. I'm sorry, there's, I don't, I'm not even religious. This is satanic. Do you hear what it, this is literally like give into the dark side. Oh, well, the savage, the savage native can't do anything except give into the dark side. So he's going to Europe. Far removed, he says, far removed from his war, we consider it as a triumph of barbarism. But of its own volition, it achieves slowly but surely the emancipation of the rebel. For bit by bit, it destroys in him and around him the colonial gloom. There is no forgiveness. There is no turning the other cheek. There is only destruction through vengeance, through rage boiling over. No acceptance, no moving on, no seeking to make amends and to accept them. Every religious impulse of every noble religion in the world is rejected in this paragraph. This has once begun, it is a war that gives no quarter. You may fear or be feared. That is to say, abandon yourself to the dissociations of a sham existence or conquer your birthright of unity. Birthright of unity, by the way, that's a Gnostic and Hermetic concept. We're not going to get into that. Okay, we will. The idea in Hermeticism, generally speaking, or basically, is that all is actually one, that distinctions are an illusion that are impressed upon us, that gnosis is the awareness that all distinctions are an illusion, and that we are actually all unity in, in unity in oneness, and that if we can uh, eliminate the under the misunderstanding of the world through under the through through the, or the appearance of distinctions that we can elevate ourselves to a higher level spiritually and return to unity. And in the hermetic belief, it is actually that we will return manifestly to God. We will, we are in fact in the hermetic faith, the third person of the Godhead. And our goal is to climb through spiritual ascension to the second person of the Godhead, at which point we self beget. And if we self beget and we arrive at that last moment, we will be able to rejoin with the whole, the unbegotten God, and that is the hermetic spiritual process. So here it is, but it's done through murder. When the peasant, he says, this is the part I really wanted to read this whole paragraph for. We've got some real gold out of this paragraph, but he says, when the peasant takes a gun in his hands, the old myths grow dim and the prohibitions are one by one forgotten. The rebel's weapon is the proof of his humanity. For in the first days of the revolt, you must kill. 
To shoot down a European is to kill two birds with one stone, to destroy an oppressor and the man he oppresses at the same time. Do you hear the hermetic aspect to that? I'm going to finish it and come back. There remain a dead man and a free man. The survivor, for the first time, feels a national soil underfoot. And it goes on and on. I'm not going to read lots and lots of this. That was the part I really wanted to get to. When the peasant takes a gun in his hands, the old myths grow dim, and the prohibitions are one by one forgotten. He's not going to have to behave anymore. He has a weapon. He has power. Power, Mao said, flows from the barrel of a gun. He now has power in his hands. And the rebel's weapon, the power that he has taken upon himself, is the proof of his humanity. His ability to destroy somebody else makes him human. His ability to destroy someone else verifies his humanity. Think about that. Does that sound like any noble religion in the world, or does it sound like something evil? And he says, in the fir- for in the first days of the revolt, you must kill. Maybe that's true. I don't know how revolts have to work. All I know is that the weapon is the proof of his humanity, and at no point in this is there forgiveness, and no point in this is there turning the other cheek. They would say, in fact, it's an imposition to ask them to do so, to let bygones be repaired through what can be repaired and to move forward from where we are, to see the sins of the past as evil and bad, but as sunk costs that we must work together to move forward from. That's not the mindset. We don't see it in post-colonialism. We don't see it in decolonization. We don't see it in any of these identity theories. We, ne- we don't see it in CRT for damn sure. It's not about reparations. It's not about moving forward together. It's about revenge. It's about regaining your humanity through destroying the thing that you believe dehumanized you, just like Marx, just like Satan. For in the first days of the revolt, you must kill, he says, maybe, yeah. But this is the key. To shoot down a European is to kill two birds with one stone. And here's where it is. Again, the hermetic idea is that, when we talked about this with the colonialism, that the opposites are actually two parts of a single whole. That's the dialectic. They're two parts of a single whole. So the way Sartre is telling us that Fanon has taught him that you destroy the dynamic of colonialism is to shoot down a European is to kill two birds with one stone because to destroy an oppressor and the man he oppresses at the same time. Okay, so the oppressor and the oppressed are the two pieces of the dynamic, apparently in opposition, but they're actually the two integral pieces of the dynamic. So when you kill the person who's in the power position within that, when you commit that murder, you actually destroy the dynamic because you destroy an oppressor and the man he oppresses at the same time. The oppressed man isn't oppressed anymore if the person oppressing him is dead. Now, if you actually read what Fanon says or what what Sartre says, we're not just talking about... You might be picturing some conquistador in silver armor or steel armor with a sword and a gun and abusing, you know, Native Americans or whatever. It even talks just about people who, after the colonization took place, moved there. Just normal people who are like, well, I guess I have to go live in India, or I have to go live in Africa, or in Algeria in this case, or I have to go live in um, you know, Central America, or whatever, because that's what we're doing. Just the normal people who live there, mostly innocent people, probably just innocent people, to shoot down. It doesn't say to shoot down a person who's waging war against your people in armor, to shoot down a guard, to shoot down... It says to shoot down a European... They're all the same. This is evil. This is evil. This is a justification for a genocide in reverse, if it were to go to its full extent. To shoot down a European is to destroy the oppressor and the man he oppresses at the same time, which is the proof of your humanity. There remain a dead man and a free man. So you become a free man, and in fact, as we read through Fanon, a man in the first place. As we read in Sartre, a human being with first taste of his charter of humanity through murder. So decolonization is a right in an esoteric religion 
of resentment for the colonial process that rejects anything like a Christian or Jewish or any other noble religion in place of a satanic evil destruction where you transform the world and yourself through your own actions, evil transformed into good. Decolonization is that. And they tell us they're going to decolonize the curriculum. They tell us they're going to decolonize our schools. They tell us they're going to decolonize our children. And I'm not saying that this is going to turn violent on them, necessarily, except in their minds, except in maybe their souls. But I will remind you of the uh, first and last sentence of Fanon that I actually read from this first chapter concerning violence. I only read like two pages. National liberation... National Renaissance, that's rebirth, by the way, the restoration of nationhood to the people, commonwealth, whatever may be the headings used or the new formulas introduced, decolonization is always a violent phenomenon. It's the first one. I have to skip down to the second one. It's a few pages. And it was, the native who decides to put the program into practice and become its moving forces ready for violence at all times. From birth, it is clear to him that this narrow world, strewn with prohibitions, can only be called into question by absolute violence. This, again, to go back to where we started, is the basis for Ferrari's educational model. This is the basis for, therefore, our educational model, the decolonize the curriculum program, the decolonize everything programs are based off of this. It's also the inspiration for Antifa. It's what Antifa thinks it's achieving, as a matter of fact, in addition to so-called repressive tolerance or liberating tolerance, I should say. It's a process of death and rebirth through violence and destruction so that you can undo the so-called colonial process which they see as a demiurgic creation of uh, that imprisons, I should say, that, that creates a, a, a world of imprisonment for the people that it oppresses while uh, allowing the people who exploit them through whether it's colonialism for this, whether it's labor relations for Marx or whatever, uh, through the production of race, whiteness for critical race theorists, through the production of normalcy for queer theorists through patriarchal production for feminists. What this is in every case is that those are demiurgic constructions. This is a Gnostic religion. And in the decolonization case, the ritual very explicitly put by Fanon and backed up by Sartre, the, the ritual to transform out of your Gnostic prison, your incarceration in being is violence. And this is what we have to reckon with when we look at the, uh, the widespread calls for decolonizing everything. If this returns to its roots, it's a disaster. If it doesn't return to its roots, if it's all symbolic, it's still a disaster. But its roots have to be understood. Fanon was not calling for something meek and mild. Sartre told us that the only way that maybe, maybe it won't be violent is if we fold in front of it. If we admit that we're racists, that every one of our souls is racist. So only by destroying what it means to be, in the case of the book, a European, only in the case of destroying what it means to be ourselves and giving in to their momentum, to their, to their movement, I should say, to their religion, to their cult, only by sacrificing ourselves as ourselves to the cult can we possibly avoid the violence that they want to visit upon us. That's the nature of our enemy. That's the nature of what's attacking our schools, our the West, our children, um, our curricula, our books, our society, our very being. And we need to reject it. We need to put it back to where it belongs, to the margins. We need to put it and expose it for what it is. Violent, evil, anti-Christian, if you care about these things, as I even do very strongly, not as a Christian myself. It's a, it's a, it's a violent 
evil anti-Christian cult religion that seeks vengeance and violence and destruction so that it can allow the people who participate in it to feel like they've made themselves into something new through a process of death and rebirth. The Struggle Session podcast I did recently, death and rebirth. That was the huge theme. Trans phenomenon, what do they call it? A dead name. Process of death and rebirth. These are all Gnostic cults. I hope that you understand the decolonization and post-colonial one a little bit better. Maybe we'll do more Fanon. Um, He's got three or four very famous books. This one is probably the most famous, and we hear how it starts. Uh, Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.